Tienes mucho en tus manos. Pero con solo mover un dedo puedes dar marcha atrás con Pro Trailer Backup Assist disponible. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Ya sea que estés trabajando al máximo o divirtiéndote al máximo. Esta camioneta te respalda porque está hecha para ser una parte indispensable de tu equipo. Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. Aloha mamá. ¿Dónde andas? <ríe> Seguro de compras. Tengo mucho que contarte. Hawái es increíble. He estado de un lado a otro comunidad. Todos son súper talentosos. Ya reparamos otro helicóptero Blackhawk y oficialmente formamos nuestro equipo de fútbol. Para la próxima, te cuento cómo voy con el surf y me cuentas qué te pareció el podcast que te compartí. ¿Ok? Te quiero mucho. Be all you can be. Visitando goarmy.com diagonal español. This is Real Life Economics, Episode 2, brought to you by Tomboy X. Our topic today is the rise of the robots, and I'm your host, Gina Sanchez. Welcome to Real Life Economics, where we take economic theory out into the real world, because let's face it, economics happens to you in real life. You can find our show notes at www.reallifeeconomics.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at at reallifeecon. If there are any topics you want us to cover, drop us an email at reallifeecon at gmail.com. Today, I'm joined by James Mitchell, real-life economics contributor and BAFTA-winning documentarian, as well as special guest Dr. Indranil Ghosh, CEO of Tiger Hill Capital and author of the forthcoming book, The Seven Principles of Prosperity. So let's talk automation. James, is it really a subject that strikes fear in the heart of U.S. workers and other developed economies? I really do think that it hits home at an emotional level. Just look at popular culture over the last 50 years. Back in 1967, in Stanley Kubrick's cinematic masterpiece 2001 A Space Odyssey, his computer creation HAL stages a coup killing off the majority of the ship's human crew and attempts to take over the mission. CP3O's assessment of Luke Skywalker in Star Wars may be comical, but again, it plays on our insecurities. Don't worry about Master Luke. He's quite clever, you know, for a human being. And more recently, Will Smith faced down an entire robot workforce going rogue in the dystopian vision of iRobot. With artificial intelligence developing at an ever-increasing pace, could science fiction become science fact? It's no wonder that we as humans fear we're in danger of becoming obsolete. But automation is nothing new. What can we learn from the lessons of history? The economics that lay behind the first wave of this phenomenon during the Industrial Revolution spawned the Luddites and could be instructive for where we are now. Back in England, in the early 1800s, a group of textile workers, desperate after severe job losses, took measures into their own hands and smashed up mill owners' machinery and set fire to the mills themselves. They feared their skills as weavers and craftsmen would go to waste as machines replaced their role in the industry. Make no mistake, the effects of automation led to severe social unrest. However, while technological advancements certainly reduced the need for skilled weavers, the shift in technology heralded other jobs. In fact, since the first Industrial Revolution, more people are working in more jobs than ever. So why all the fuss? Well, as it turns out, 
while workers have indeed enjoyed a plentiful job market, wage growth in more recent times has largely been weak, and that has fed extreme inequality across the developed world, with the US topping the list. And this has led many to question what role technological innovation and automation is playing in this story. So first, let's define what we're talking about in economic terms. If you consider gross domestic product as the sum of the value of all of the goods and services produced in a country, then it's important to remember that those goods and services are being produced at a cost. Those input costs are referred to as factors of production. They're divided into four categories, labor, land, capital, and entrepreneurship. Labor is the work that people accomplish to produce a given good. Land is all of the natural resources and materials required to produce that good. Capital represents the machines, factory equipment, and tools needed in the production process. And the last factor, entrepreneurship, includes the ideas, knowledge, and innovation that results in a combination of labor, land, and capital needed to get that particular product to market. In a simpler way, we can refer to these factors of production as labor, materials, machines, and management. Each of these factors of productivity is awarded a factor payment in return for its contribution to the profits. Those payments then get recirculated back into the economy. And the big question in everyone's mind lately is who gets to keep most of the profits? In 1957, economist Nicholas Caldor published a highly influential article called A Model of Economic Growth that presented several stylized facts about economic growth and noted that the share of national income received by labour and capital are roughly constant over long periods of time, generally 70% to labour and 30% to capital as a rule of thumb. However, the US Department of Labour's Bureau of Labour Statistics, the BLS, published an article in February of 2017 which shows that Labour's share of output has declined dramatically since 2000, from a high of 66% in the mid-1950s to a low of just 56% in 2006. And that means either fewer workers or lower wages in real terms. Compounding this is an extensive study of 50 countries by Lucas Karababunis and Brent Neiman and the National Bureau of Economic Research. They highlight that the decline in the relative price of capital, computerised capital in particular, has led firms to employ more capital and relatively less labour. This, according to Cara Barbunis and Neiman, accounts for approximately half of the observed decline in the labour share. However, it's not all bad news for workers. Robert Lawrence, also from the National Bureau of Economic Research, presents another explanation which suggests that labour and capital are actually complements, not substitutes, in the production process. Capital can augment labour, making workers more productive. However, that productivity gain flows to capital, not labour, and labour's share of the rewards fall. So while the explanation is different, unfortunately, the effect is the same. Less wages flow to workers. David Arthur from MIT and Anna Salomons from Utrecht University presented a paper on this subject at the Brookings Institute conference in March this year called Is Automation Labor Displacing? Productivity, Growth, Employment and the Labor Share. And their findings lead us towards an intriguing observation. 
They looked at 28 countries since 1970 and found that robot adoption has indeed reduced labor's share of value added, consistent with the BLS findings. They also add that it has not been employment displacing. So what does that actually mean if you currently work for an employer looking to raise productivity and benefit from automation? Well, the robot adoption doesn't take away your job. It just lowers your wages. And it's not always the workers that you think are most vulnerable who suffer. Christian Siegel of the University of Kent found that as far back as the 1950s, growth in the labor markets has occurred at either the top or bottom end of the pay scale, with the middle being hollowed out. And the arrival of information technology in the 1980s simply exacerbated this trend. Darren Asimoglu from MIT and Pasquale Restrepo from Boston University offer further explanation in their paper on artificial intelligence, automation, and work published in January of this year. They found that while AI displaces labor, hence reducing the demand for labor and lowering wages, the increase in productivity results in cost savings, and that actually increases demand for labor in non-automated tasks. And that is the crux of the problem. Just what sort of jobs are being created in place of those that are lost? Larry Elliott, economics editor at The Guardian, penned an insightful article called Robots Will Not Lead to Fewer Jobs, But the Hollowing Out of the Middle Class. In it, he explains that this is because of something called Moravec's paradox. Now, economic paradoxes may be fascinating, but this one pours fuel on the fire of our fear of automation. Hans Moravec, an AI researcher in the 1980s, observed that it is comparatively easy to make computers exhibit adult-level performance on intelligence tests or playing checkers, and difficult or impossible to give them the skills of a one-year-old when it comes to perception and mobility. Put another way, computers find difficult things easy and easy things difficult. As a result, robots are more likely to displace higher skilled jobs than lower skilled jobs, forcing workers to seek lower paid, difficult to automate jobs. So it's those better paid, more highly skilled jobs that we're now starting to lose. The very ones that we want to keep for humans. And this process is very likely a major driver of inequality. It creates disruptive improvements in productivity, where a robot can do the job of multiple workers, and workers must compete with robots by attempting to be cheaper. Effectively, we could evolve into a society where very few capital owners can command armies of working poor who are left to struggle in the drudgery of the kind of low-paid, undemanding jobs that we thought the machines were going to liberate us from. Remember the Luddites and their reaction to automation? It may sound like an apocalyptic outlook, worthy of a Hollywood movie script perhaps, but in real life, Will Smith won't be able to save us. And worryingly, serious economists are beginning to suggest it might happen. Right, James. I'm going to try to cheer you up by bringing in another point of view. Dr. Indranil Ghosh is the CEO of Tiger Hill Capital and the author of forthcoming book, The Seven Principles of Prosperity. Dr. Ghosh, your book focuses on seven principles that drive economic prosperity, and one of those principles is humans amplifying technology. Give us a little bit of background on why this matters to economic prosperity in the long run. Well, Gina, I think many people are used to thinking about technology as something that amplifies what humans can already do. So if you think about manufacturing cars, then there are quite a few activities that require a great deal of strength, like bolting and drilling and picking up the big parts. 
Now, machines are really great at doing that in a rapid, low-cost, scalable way. And this is what has opened up the field of mass manufacturing and brought lots of goods to large uh, swaths of the world's population. But because of what you mentioned earlier around Moravec's observation, machines haven't been very good at taking um, unpredictable situations uh, and dealing with them or uh, conducting very high dexterity actions. And so that's why mass manufacturing has actually created so many jobs throughout the Industrial Revolution, because somebody actually needed to hold that um, car part in exactly the right way before the machine could drill the hole in it. But with so many improvements in computer vision and robotics, machines are beginning to do those high dexterity, unpredictable activities as well. And not to mention the fact that computers and AI are taking on a lot of the knowledge work in, in the world as well. So I think we're entering a world where technology is doing much of the work around us. And so as humans, we need to think about how we can amplify technology and not the other way around. So in other words, we humans need to focus on things that only we humans can still do. And that tends to boil down to creative activities, creating products and solutions that address real problems in society and add value. And that's how I think um, we can actually continue to generate jobs and economic prosperity is to continue having humans work on problems that only they can solve in a creative, high-value-added way. Your research suggests that as robotics and AI continue to become more effective and productive, that we could find ourselves in a world of full or near-full automation. But as the population continues to grow, will there actually be enough jobs to go around, and more importantly, enough wages to support that population? Well, James, I think that depends a lot on the choices that we make as a society. So let me give you the the sort of uh, illustrative situation of two nations. Uh, Let's say both relatively technologically advanced, but both with um, high inequality uh, in their population. Let's call one nation smart nation and the other one not so smart nation. Now, in smart nation, when a a worker is displaced from their job because for whatever reason, automation takes over and uh, their their work is not required. Smart nation invests in that human in reskilling and retraining in an activity, in a profession that is solving new problems that society faces. Let's say it's clean energy uh, to address climate change issues. And maybe they may even support that worker to move to a different part of the country where the clean energy industry is burgeoning. And they realize that in order to do this at a, a large scale, they need to raise wages of educators and other public servants that support people to to migrate from one profession to another. So in smart uh, nation, we're making choices which allow people to continue developing their skills and moving to higher paying jobs. We continue to invest in innovation R&D to make sure that those new sectors uh, are ones where our nation um, has a leadership role. And we're valuing, putting a higher value on public services that can make all that happen. And so Smart Nation is very likely to move up the ladder of increasingly innovative sectors and remain affluent and productive. Now, what happens in Not-So-Smart Nation? So in Not-So-Smart Nation, um, we choose not to make any of those choices. And the choices that are left to a displaced worker might be more like 
working for some of the ultra-rich as their chauffeur or their chef, or perhaps you go into a service profession that is highly manual and not susceptible to uh, automation, at least not yet. And so you can see how that nation would gradually spiral down into lower and lower value. How optimistic are you that um, our politicians and policymakers will actually be able to follow that smart nation course? Um, I've seen some of the policies over in the States, um, the TAA, uh, Trade and Automation Adjustment Act, uh, and the newly proposed AAA, um, which is looking at at just automation, um, haven't actually been particularly successful and and particularly well taken up. There have been complaints that the rules to actually access them are a little bit too harsh. If you think about it, um, if a worker is displaced from a job mid-career, we need to support them with a whole series of services that would actually amount to a whole rebooting of the social service system in a lot of countries. Because that worker's probably worked for 20 years in a profession, built a certain set of skills. Suddenly, they not only need to retrain themselves and go into some form of uh, retraining or education, but they might need to spend a lot of time looking for a job, uh, need assistance in finding a job that's relevant new skills they've trained themselves in, that's an enormous amount of resource for a single person or a household to invest and probably is unfeasible uh, at scale. And the only way to do it is through risk sharing, where government employers and employees contribute to some sort of a lifelong learning account that they can dip into once or more in their career when these um, points of displacement occur. Now, if you compare that with the way our pension systems currently work, which only allow us to dip in towards the end of our career or after retirement, all the other insurance schemes that are currently available, um, even if you added them all together, they don't allow the kind of flexibility required to, to do this. Not to mention the fact that there aren't good services yet available on, on the most national scales that uh, look systematically across the economy to figure out where the skills shortages are, deliver the kind of retraining that's required to put people into the higher paying jobs that do exist. And actually, in a lot of countries, we're finding that there are skills shortages for high value, um, high skill work. Interesting. One of the things that that you're kind of speaking to is sort of this idea of creating a um, you know safety net, if you will, for retraining. And you know, as James mentioned, TAA and AAA, as it turns out, um, are quite difficult to or to to qualify for. But um, another proposition has been proposed, um, which suggests uh, attacks on robots. We've seen it in various platforms. Um, from the more left-leaning candidates. But interestingly, Bain and Company uh, came out with a fairly interesting study um, that looks at the long-range intersection of technology, uh, demographics, and and the future of work, and basically also makes the suggestion um, that, in fact, some kind of redistributive effort is important. Do you think that's a potential solution to sort of what you're describing as as this need for continued lifelong learning? Well, the idea of the robot tax is very interesting, but I think if we zoom out and look at the, uh, the tax situation in most countries at large, we'll see that Um, most tax systems are designed to 
uh, favor capital investment rather than investment in humans. So, for example, if you look at the breakdown of fiscal revenues in most countries, 60% or more, and in the U.S., about 80% of the revenues comes from labor-related taxes. So that's income tax that employ- employees pay directly on their income, but it's also benefits that employers have to play- pay on top of salary. And so if you hire someone, you're in a way being penalized as a company because you have to pay benefits uh, on top of the salary. Now, contrast that with um, capital investment. You, in the U.S., get a capital dedu- a tax deduction for making a capital investment. So in a way, you're being rewarded for investing in, 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 in machines and, and technology. So not surprisingly, there has been a great rewards, not just in productivity, but from the fiscal side for investing in lots of automation. And there's been a deterrent to hire people, particularly in high-paying jobs, where the cost is amplified by the benefits package. So one way, perhaps, of redressing this balance would be the robot tax, or effectively a reduction of capital um, investment deductions, to redress that balance. But I think there are a whole series of other mechanisms that can be put in place to reward employers and employees for saving for um, retraining and redeployment situations that they're likely to face in life. So if there was a lifelong learning account, for example, where um, employers could receive as tax benefit for contributing to it and likewise employees, and perhaps it was ceded by government, that could provide a tax advantage way of investing in humans to help them through various disruptions that they may face from automation throughout their career. Andrew, no, it sounds to me like you're really hitting the nail on the head that incentives drive outcomes, and the incentive so far has been to invest in that mechanization. And, um, you know, I think uh, I'm, I'm ready to put this proposal to Congress. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and me both, Gina. Picking up from um, something that we, we were discussing earlier, but you were talking about how automation and robots are now moving into the uh, information rather than production section of the economy. You know, is, is there a concern that robots are now capable of moving far beyond the kind of, of work that traditionally we thought they might be able to do? We sort of have an almost antagonistic view as human workers towards our uh, robot uh, equivalents. Are we going to be able to move beyond that? Is it, are we going to get beyond a Luddite mentality? And, and, and is there going to be a happy ending? Well, I think there are many segments of the economy where uh, there is a Luddite mentality, but many segments where we have actually embraced the fact that we can do extraordinary things um, with the partnership of highly intelligent machines. And remember, I I keep talking about humans amplifying technology. So all that means is humans have to just get smarter as machines get more capable uh, so that as complementary factors of production, as you mentioned, uh, collectively, we can actually do a lot more. So I think there are so many challenges left uh, to address in the world that um, an antagonistic view just doesn't make any sense. So if we're to take on the enormous challenges of of climate change 
and deploy enormous amounts of renewable energy around the world. We're talking gigawatts and terawatts. If we are going to replace something as ubiquitous as plastics with biodegradable, edible, or whatever other benign materials, if we're going to do um, things like, you know, uh, provide basic medicines across the world at a cost that people can afford and be able to perform minor surgeries, maybe with robots, um, you know, across developing nations and help so many uh, suffering people um, avoid unnecessary pain. Um, that's a lot of work. And I don't believe that there's any way in which we can do all of that work manually. We actually need intelligent robots to be able to accomplish all of these things. Um, but we as humans have to get smarter to, to, to make use of, the, of, of that gift of technology um, and solve these problems. Well, Dr. Ghosh, I, I think our listeners are up to that challenge. So thank you for that that amazingly insightful and, you know, to some degree optimistic outlook for how we can continue to march forward with progress side by side uh, with robots. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, James. As we wrap our show, I think it's safe to say that progress, innovation, and automation will be a part of the future. But without good policymaking, as Dr. Ghosh suggested, that process can have some negative side effects. Inequality is by far the biggest challenge facing America today, and well-written and informed policy is the answer to mitigating these risks. And remember that when jobs get displaced, they're often replaced with new jobs. But if they're going to be fulfilling and rewarding, lifelong learning looks to me like the best bet to keep you in the game. In our next podcast, we'll discuss trade tariffs. What are they? How do they work? And should we be concerned about the simmering trade war? I'm Gina Sanchez. And I'm James Mitchell. And this has been Real Life Economics, brought to you by Tom Boyex. Visit us at www.reallifeeconomics.com. Follow us on at Real Life Econ on Twitter and email us at reallifeecon at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Real Life Economics, because economics happens to you in real life. Aloha, mamá. ¿Dónde andas? <laughs> Seguro de compras. Tengo mucho que contarte. Hawái es increíble. He estado de un lado a otro comunidad. Todos son súper talentosos. Ya reparamos otro helicóptero Blackhawk y oficialmente formamos nuestro equipo de fútbol. Para la próxima, te cuento cómo voy con el surf y me cuentas qué te pareció el podcast que te compartí. ¿Ok? Te quiero mucho. Be all you can be. Visitando goarmy.com diagonal español. Boost Mobile tiene una gran oferta para que aproveches tu reembolso de impuestos al máximo y te mantengas conectado. Al cambiarte a Boost, recibe un 50% de descuento en tu primer mes de datos ilimitados. O, con un plan ilimitado de 40 dólares, llévate un Samsung Galaxy A15 5G por $39.99. Obtén los mejores teléfonos en las redes 5G más grandes del país. Con Boost Mobile, cambiarse es fácil. Solo visita BoostMobile.com. Boost Mobile, sin miedo al éxito. Para clientes nuevos y solamente en línea, requiere Garopay. 50% de descuento en el primer mes requiere un plan de $25 al mes. Aplican otras restricciones. Visita BoostMobile.com para detalles.